Om Namo Narayanaya. This is a recording of a talk of James Swartz on the Bhagavad Gita at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. Om Sadashiva Samarambam Shankaracharya Madhyamam Asmadacharya Paryantam Vande Guru Paramparam Ishwaro Guradmeti Murti Beda Vibhagine Vyomavad Vyapta Dehaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaha Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tamagocharam Govindam Paramanandam Sadgurum Pranatos Miham You can choose which actions you wish to perform, but you have no control over the results. Do not think of yourself as the author of the results of your actions. Who is the author? The Dharma field. Not up to you. Which means what? If it's up to you, then you can worry about it. What's going to happen? It's up to you? Worry about it. <laughs> it's no sense in really worrying about it anyway, but if it was if it was up to you, you'd have everything you want, wouldn't you? If the results of your actions were up to you, then you'd have everything you want. But you don't have everything you want, which means what? The results of the actions are not up to you. The Dharma field determines what happens, not your own will. So you're here as an instrument of Ishwara right, to do certain actions. Your life is an instrument, it's instrumental for the performance of what? Actions that maintain the creation, keep the creation going. Don't think of yourself as the author of the results of your action and what? And don't be attached to inaction. We just talked about that. That's the Ramesh teaching. You're not the doer, so don't do anything. Think <laughs> very clearly here. Don't, don't be attached to inaction. Remain steadfast in yoga means in this attitude. Right? And act without attachment to the results. Remain the same in success and failure alike. This steadiness of mind is called yoga. There's a little more to it than just equanimity. In other words, indifference. Actually, karma yoga is an attitude of gratitude. Because what's making these vasanas that are keeping you bound to action? Selfishness. You're only interested in yourself. You're not your self, <laughs> but you're what? Your body-mind, that's what you think is yourself. And so you're doing actions to please your body-mind. That's called, that's what's producing the vasanas. Huh? So, huh? So, What's this attitude? An attitude of gratitude. What? To whom? To the Dharma field, to God. And why should I have this attitude? Because God has given me the thing that's most important to me. What is that? My life. I want to live a long time here. I, huh? When you wake up, you always want to live another day. Even when you're 90 years old, you want to live one more day. Why? Because it's beautiful here. 
Life is beautiful and you're beautiful. You've been given beautiful equipment and you've been put in a beautiful world by a very generous and kind and compassionate deity, God, the world, consciousness, and what? And you, what? You should be grateful for what you have. And therefore, what, when somebody gives you something that uh, is valuable to you, and there's nothing more valuable than your life, then you should what? You should reciprocate. You should give something back. And all you have to give is what? Since none of it's yours except your actions, you can contribute your actions to the world. In other words, you break that self-centered, selfish notion that's producing these binding vasanas by what? By offering, by making your actions an offering. So your work is your worship. This is the religious or the spiritual part of karma yoga. It's not just a cool materialist point of view. It's what? It's a religious attitude, an attitude of gratitude. And so therefore, I see thy, my work and my life as a worship of what? Of the Creator, of God. And what does that do? Every action, and what do I do? When a result comes, well, how do I do? I take it as what? As prasad. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I needed that. This is why I said there are no bad results. Because bad results are good results. Bad results what? Teach me where I'm going wrong. Bad results wake me up to what? The violations of Dharma that I'm engaging in. Bad results means emotional states of mind. And actions connected with emotional states of mind. Those are bad results, and I take those as prasad. Thank you, Lord. I needed that. Whack. It wakes me up. I need that pain. I need that suffering. It's good. I worship you for teaching me. You're so kind. You're so compassionate. You look after me in every way. Thank you very much. It's an attitude of what? Giving, not grabbing. <coughs> huh? That grasping, greedy, I want, I want attitude is what? You need to change that attitude into an attitude of gratitude and make an offering of your actions, of your work. That's all karma yoga is. And karma yoga will therefore what? Reduce your bondage to actions, slowly and gradually. Every day that you practice it, there will be a small change, an incremental change. And after weeks and months, you'll notice a feeling of lightness and happiness and satisfaction. And you'll see your life start to flow. Your karma flow will not be all broken up. With emotional. Your karma flow will start to just flow. It's very nice. It feels like you're on a magic carpet. Things just happen. You just, huh? Bhagawan just looks right after you. And there's no resistance anymore in yourself. Because the resistance is all up to you. You're the one that's creating this resistance by having the wrong attitude. Desire-prompted action. Now he's talking about there's certain kinds of actions which are good and some... Desire-prompted action is inferior to action performed with the karma-yoga attitude. <clears throat> 
What, what's the karma yoga attitude? That's we have desire in karma yoga, but what's the desire? The desire is for a pure mind. In the first stage of karma yoga, the desire is for objects. You cannot get that pure mind right away. But huh? in the karma yoga, our desire goes to what? A pure mind. It doesn't go to, to obtaining objects in the world. Understand? So huh? that's why he says, desire prompted means uh, actions for objects. That's what it means here. It's called uh, sakama karmas. means actions done with desire with sa sa means with ka, with kama means desire and karma yoga is nishkama karmas that means desireless actions now it doesn't mean desireless actions <laughs> it means actions done with desire for a pure mind not with desire for objects in this case the object is a pure mind but the pure mind is what? Necessary for moksha. He says, take refuge in this attitude. Those who perform action only for the desired results are misers, meaning they're selfish, self-centered people. Misers are hoarders. They're people who keep everything to themselves. They're only thinking of themselves. Whenever they get something, they hide it away. And they're looking around. Oh, no, no. And they won't let anything go. You know? You want to spend one dip nickel, one dime. Oh, it hurts. Give me not a hump. Oh, no, no, I can't do that. <laughs> it's that miserly attitude. Huh? Yeah, we're that way with our actions. Somebody calls you up and they want you to do, oh, no, I can't. I, need, I look at my schedule. Are you looking? Oh, no, no. Even if your schedule's got nothing in it, you'll say no because you don't want to give yourself. You don't want to share your time with somebody else. You're too selfish. You got, oh, no, I'm watching video. I can't go and help you do this or do that. Sorry. It's a miserly attitude, self-centered attitude. And all that does is keep you bound to karma. That's all. It won't set you free. The karma yoga attitude causes steadiness of mind and frees one of good and bad karma. Okay, hey, <laughs> like in yoga, we're basically here to get good karma. But in Vedanta, we're here to get rid of both good and bad karma. <laughs> we don't want good karma. We don't want bad karma. We want a mind that what's free of karma altogether. Good karma is just as bound, binding, just as much trouble as bad karma. You can get just as vain and egocentric and attached to good karma as you can to bad karma. You can get a huge spiritual ego if you have good karma. You think you're so good. You're so holy. You're so pure. You're so spiritual. Yeah. And does it mean actions done in this attitude don't produce any karma? They don't produce karma. Yeah. They burn <coughs> up karma. Karma yoga burns up your karma. It doesn't produce karma. It, it, uh, it removes your good karma and your bad <coughs> karma. 
By what? By neutralizing your papas and your punyas, your huh? your good karmas and your bad karmas, your likes and your dislikes. You know, you sacrifice what you want and what you don't want for what Bhagawan wants for you. Bhagawan means the world, the field. I call it Dharma Yoga. Not just Karma Yoga, it's Dharma Yoga. Because you let the Dharma field tell you what it wants, and you do what the Dharma, yoga, the Dharma field tells you to do, that's called Ishwara. You do what God wants you to do, and what? And you're not producing any karma at all, are you? You're just acting out what? The desires of the field. Which means the karma doesn't go to your account, the karma goes back to Ishwara. In other words, it, it clears your karmic account. So karma yoga huh, removes your good karmas and your bad karmas. But any action I do will have a result. Yeah. But, but the attitude determines what happens to, to the karma. Mm -hmm. if, you have this, if you have the karma yoga attitude, then what? You neutralize the karma. You're saying, I don't care what the result is. Huh? Karma yoga says, I don't care what the result is. The result's up to you, Bhagawan. You get the karma. I don't care. If it's a bad result, it's fine. If it's a good result, it's fine. I don't care. I'm just here to serve you. That's huh? That's a tough one, isn't it? Because the ego, what? That's gonna. That's like a big marquee pointing at your ego. You're gonna find resistance here. There's a lot of resistance to karma yoga because that ego, that part that likes your likes and dislikes, they're under attack all the time. Because there's huh? This is this attacks your ego. This, this doer-enjoyer entity. The ego is the doer-enjoyer entity. It's called the hamkarta, karta, and bhokta. The karta, the doer, is the ego, and it's doing to get results. The doer does to become a bhokta. A bhokta means an enjoyer. You do not do actions for what? To suffer. You do actions to enjoy. And you, huh? So the doer is, is, is what? He's doing actions for results. Now, if he says, I don't care what the results are, hmm, then what? He breaks this whole cycle of desire and action. You leave the results to Bhagawan, then what? They don't come to me. As long as you want them to come to you, they come to you. But if you let them go to Bhagawan, they go to Bhagawan. <laughs> Your whole karma is based upon your attitude, the thought in your mind when you're acting. That's, that's what your karma is. The thought that's in your mind at the time when you're doing an action is your karma. So karma yoga, you got a different thought here. And that thought is going to produce a different result. And that result is you're not going to get karma back. And when you do get karma back, it's neutralized by this attitude. So you say thanks. When, when something bad happens, thank you. When something good happens, thank you. It's all the same. Because you see the good things are good for you and the bad things are good for you. That's not the ego's view, is it? The ego's view is only good things are good for me 
and bad things are not good for me. <laughs> and it's that attitude that's causing this bondage to action. He said, therefore, commit yourself to karma yoga. Karma yoga is discretion in action. That means you have free will. You can choose to act with this attitude or not. It's up to you. With karma yoga attitude, the wise, no longer concerned with the results of their actions and free from the bondage of rebirth, accomplish the result that is free of limitation. What's that? Moksha. <coughs> the Vedanta is the yoga of no contact. Yoga means to contact, and Vedanta is the yoga of no contact. That means what? A result that's free of limitation. What's that result? Means what? Knowledge. Self-knowledge. I'm free. That's the result. Karma yoga is what sets you free. What? By preparing your mind for receiving the knowledge. If your mind is prepared, then this teaching will just click. If it doesn't click, if it's hard on you, then you need to do some karma yoga here. In karma yoga, you rely on your own self, your own efforts, but you have Bhagawan as a backup. <laughs> later on, what? It's all Bhagawan, but right now, later on you can just leave it all to Bhagawan. But huh? now, jnanis just leave it all to Bhagawan. There's no will when they're acting. They don't feel or doing anything. That's called jnana karma sannyas. We're going to talk about see that next. Jnana karma sannyas means the doer has been neutralized by jnana or knowledge. When your intellect is no longer deluded, you will become dispassionate concerning what has happened and what will happen. In other words, you don't care what happens. When your mind is no longer concerned with results promised in the results promised in the Vedas, you can leave out promised in the Vedas. You can just say with results, it remains steady and becomes established in the self. This leads to self-knowledge. Now, what's the fruit of this knowledge? That these verses, the self-realized person. We always we have constantly throughout the Gita many men in almost. All the chapters, we have a discussion of what the result of self-knowledge is. Because self-knowledge is not the end. <laughs> self-knowledge is, is, is the middle stage of enlightenment. The, the end of what enlightenment is perfect satisfaction. And that's seen in the lives in how people live. So he's presenting this idea of perfect satisfaction in terms of what? The states of mind of enlightened people. That's called a self-realized person. There isn't actually a self-realized person. There's only the self, and the self is always realized. But insofar as there is a person, and that person knows I'm the self, and that knowledge is firm, then it has a huge impact on the way that person lives. And so he's going to discuss that here. You see it throughout. Arjuna said, O oh Krishna, will you just please describe a person of steady wisdom whose mind is not disturbed by anything and abides in the self? 
How, are, how do such people interact with the world? That wasn't the actual question. He asked, how do they walk? How do they talk? How do they eat? How do they sleep? It's a dumb question. Because <laughs> they don't act or walk or talk any different from anybody else. And if they do, they're not self-realized. These people, all these fakers, these poseurs, who are walking around acting like self-realized, what they think self-realized people act, you know, walking like zombies and talking about themselves in the third person and all that sort of stuff. It's all just a big act by the ego to convince themselves and other people that they're enlightened. So Arjuna's got this idea, this funny idea. He thinks, well, they must, they must behave differently from everybody else. Huh? Because they're enlightened. No, they don't behave any differently if they're enlightened. If they know who they are, they won't behave any differently. It has no impact there. It's a change in status only. The status of your relationship to the world. Anyway, we're going to see. Krishna replied, when a person gives up, and here, here's, this is your checklist. If this applies to you, then you're enlightened, okay? If it doesn't, it doesn't. Okay? <laughs> you can check and see. Krishna replied, when a person gives up desires as they appear in the mind and remains happy with only his or herself, he or she is a discriminated person. Means what? Binding desires. He or she won't have binding desires if they know who they are. That the knowledge will have neutralized their binding desires. But what? Desires for objects, huh? That person can can what? Can give them up when they appear in the mind. They don't have to act them out. It means what? They're not bound to act. They're free of bondage to action. Normally when I have a desire, I feel that I have to act and I do something. When I go by that shop over there, I, there's a, I have a little fat man inside. And that fat man wants a chocolate. <laughs> huh? And sometimes he's stronger than me and I find myself going in and having that chocolate. And sometimes I say, no, you can't have it, bad boy. And I walk on. I feel very proud of myself. I said no to my desires. So I'm enlightened then. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> the, one, the one who is affected by it, who is unaffected by adversity, adversity means bad stuff, whatever bad stuff, who doesn't yearn for pleasure, is not always thinking about feeling good, sex and food and all that stuff. It isn't yearning for it. You get to enjoy all those things, but you don't long for them. You don't crave them. You don't, your mind's not obsessed with what? Feeling good. When are you going to get laid next? When are you going to have a good meal? When are you going to get to go skiing? And all that sort of stuff. You're not thinking like that. Right? When those things come up, it's natural. You do them or you don't do them. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. So let's see how you a and what is this? A discriminating person is unattached to the outcome of all situations and does not rejoice when circumstances are pleasant. You don't get all excited, oh, and call everybody, oh, everything went right, I won the lottery. It's all the same, huh? 
she said, yes, I'm so happy. <laughs> you know? No, it's fine. She said yes, big deal. Life goes on. Now I've got another problem. My wife, I've got a wife. <laughs> it solved one problem, but it gave me another problem. So, is there any reason to be happy here? No, there's no reason. <laughs> there's no reason. Oh, she left me. Well, that's good. Great. Now, there's no reason to be sad either. Huh? I got rid of her. She was in a lot of trouble. Now I got to get another one. <laughs> it's, all, it's all the same. Right? To a enlightened person, it's all the same. Is it with her or without? It's okay. Uh, nor is he or she uncomfortable in unpleasant situations. There's many situations that are quite uncomfortable. And uh, I was quite, un I, I felt, I could feel my mind getting uncomfortable when this fellow said he wanted to hang out in, in my presence. I thought, Jesus, what does that mean? <laughs> no, really, I mean, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable when you want somebody that thinks they want to hang out with you. What, what does that mean? You mean I can't? brush my teeth without you being there. <laughs> One time I was uh, in India, some fellow came to see me and I had to run, and we were sitting on the front porch and I had to uh, go and do something real quickly. Uh, somebody gave me a call and I had to run just, just to a little nearby. I said, well, just wait, I'll be back in 10 minutes and we can continue our satsang. I came back, he wasn't on the porch. And, and I thought, well, he, he got bored, he left. So I went inside, and I went into my bedroom, and there he's sitting in my bed, with his legs crossed, meditating. I said, I said, well, what are you doing? Oh, the energy, it's so incredible here. I said, I kicked him out. I said, get out. What are you talking about? Are you mad? You know, that's an uncomfortable situation. I didn't want to just chase him out. But here's this guy, he thinks he loves me so much and he loves the, he doesn't even love me, he loves the energy. I mean, he said, I love you, then I'd still throw him out because I wouldn't, but <laughs> he doesn't even love me, he loves the energy. Uncomfortable situations, that's all the same. I didn't feel bad throwing him out either. I thought, what a jerk. He could sit on the front porch and feel the energy. Oh no, he's got to get in my bed and feel it because there's more shocking in the bed. I don't know why there's more shakti in the bed than in my chair. When I'm sitting here, do you come up and sit here because I sat here and feel special? Yes. When you leave, huh? when you leave, <laughs> we take turns. <laughs> the place is full. Everybody <laughs> takes turns. Yeah. And, okay, here, how about this? And if a person is able to withdraw his or her sense organs from the sense objects, like a turtle withdraws its limbs, his or her knowledge is steadily. That means what? You get to have your sense pleasure, but what? You know when to quit. You can take your sense organs away. Whatever it is. The food, the sex, the music, whatever it is, you can withdraw your senses. See, no thanks, I've had enough of that. Goodbye, finish, and off you go. Good stuff and bad stuff. For the one who does not feed the senses, the senses come back to the self, leaving the longing behind. That's what we're talking about, karma yoga. Huh? For the one, who, why? Because when you feed the senses, you get a vasana. Huh? 
If you don't feed the senses, then what happens? The vasanas go out, and what happens? The mind turns around and meditates on the self. It turns inward and meditates on the self. If you're feeding the senses, the mind is all extroverted, meditating on the objects, and it's not meditating on the self. The mind's always looking for pleasure, looking for happiness, and if, it, if it's been denied the happiness from the objects, it's going to find the happiness within. So these people know that. They know, why should I chase the happiness outside when I've got the happiness within? And when the desire comes up, they don't feed it. And what happens? The mind goes right back to the self, and they feel happy. Joy is not in the object, the joy is in me. I am the joy. I am the fullness. I am the happiness. So this is how these people feel and think. When the, pers when the self is known to be oneself, even the longing goes away. Your vastness for objects go away because you're satisfied. You're full. Ananda means full. Ananda doesn't mean spiritual. doesn't mean physical bliss although there is physical bliss for these people, it means full, it means self-confident, it means satisfied with themselves. They're totally confident people. When I met my guru, I couldn't believe it. It was his confidence that sold me. Totally confident, totally relaxed, totally peaceful, totally calm, just completely confident, everything. I realized, hey, he, he wasn't depending upon anything. He was just self-confident. He's confident in who he is and knows that he can't be touched by anything. That's these people. Nothing could touch me. I'm fine. Somebody asked him, Swamiji, he said, this was during the Cold War. So somebody said, well, Swamiji, you know, what happens if they drop the nuclear bomb and we all die? And they're expecting some reaction from him, I guess. He said, oh, we'll all go to heaven together. <laughs> so what? They dropped the atomic bomb and we all die, so what? It's all not real anyway. Who cares? Let it go. It's no big deal. And if Bhagavan wants another universe, he'll create another universe. If not, not. It's fine. This is just an experimental thing here. Anyway, it's not actually real. So, like, take it easy, relax, who cares? It's the attitude. Even for a person who practices yoga and whose goal is clear, the senses can pull the mind away from the self. Keep your senses under control and contemplate on me with a discriminating mind. Self-knowledge becomes established in a discriminating, controlled mind. And then he's going to tell you what the problem is. This is the basic psychology of all human beings. This is what happens when you're ignorant of yourself. When you dwell on objects, when you start thinking about things for a period of time, it doesn't take long. When you dwell, you start thinking about a particular object, Attachment comes, arises. Attachment causes desire. 
And when desire is obstructed, anger arises. You get angry when you don't get what you want. An angry mind is easily deluded. Means confused, deluded. You don't know what's going on. And delusion leads to a loss of memory. You forget who you are and what you're looking, what you're doing here. That's what happened to Arjuna. He just he forgot who he was and what he was supposed to do here. He just, huh? When memory goes, the mind is incapacitated. You can't what? You can't think. And when the mind no longer functions properly, one's life is destroyed. Where does it start? Attachment to objects. Wanting stuff. Starts right there. And it's a slippery slope. Even when you move in the world of objects, it is possible to attain tranquility if the sense organs are controlled and you stand apart from your likes and your dislikes. You're not in love with your likes and your dislikes. You know what Arjuna's thinking here? Arjuna's thinking of going to Rishikesh and becoming a sadhu. That's what, that's what his thought is. He's thinking of what? Leaving the world of objects, meaning the situation he's in. He's thinking, I'll go to an ashram and meditate. That's what he's thinking. Krishna knows what he's thinking. That's why he says this here. He says, that means what? You Right here in the battlefield of life, you can do this and you should do this. Because if you run to a cave, if you run to an ashram to avoid your karma in the world, huh? you'll be back in the world before you know it. So don't try to run away. Don't, yeah? If you've got, if you're like, don't like the world, and you haven't completed, and you aren't sure that you've completed your karma there, and you don't have the temperament of a sannyasi, you still have the temperament of a karmi, a doer, and you go to what, the cave or the ashram or something like that, you'll be back in the world. It will pull you back. Well, you'll have to go back and fulfill those fasanas. So he said, so don't leave. Take this attitude and work right where you are. This is very interesting because Vedanta was basically a monastic tradition. Sannyasi, the whole, the whole institution of sannyasi is what? A monastic tradition. Leave the world. But Leaving the world, that's called sannyasa, renunciation of the world, your duties in the world. But that sannyasa is only for people who are what? Sattvika, and who have no karmas. A sannyasi is a person who has no karmas. They, can, they, they, don't, they don't need to do anything. They don't have a wife and a kid and a job and all that stuff. They don't care. Sannyasi will just lay down and sleep anywhere. He'll do anything. He doesn't care. So with those people, you know, the contemplative life, the, the, the caves are fine. Ramana Maharshis, those kind of people. They're perfect. Ramana went to the cave and he didn't go back home and play cricket with his friends and eat his mom's idlis. He sat in the cave. But if you go try to go sit in a cave in the mountains, huh? you'll be back soon enough, I'll tell you. Because <laughs> you don't have the mentality for it, the maturity for it. It's not there. So he's saying you have to stay where you are 
and do things with this attitude. <coughs> Self-knowledge, easily established in a tranquil mind, destroys existential sorrow. But for the agitated mind, there's no self-knowledge. Contemplation does not take place, and without contemplation this, on the self, there is no peace. Without peace, how can there be happiness? Self-knowledge will not stick in a mind distracted by changing sensations. They carry it away just as a strong wind carries a small boat across the water. Therefore, Arjuna, the self-knowledge of one whose senses are free of their respective objects, is steady. In that dark daylight world in which beings sleep, the wise person who has mastered the senses is awake. Just as water flows into an ocean, leaving the ocean unchanged, objects arising in the mind of a self-realized person leave it unchanged. But the desirer of objects is never peaceful. The one who abandons the belief in I and mine and moves through life without longing is peaceful. Why, why can you abandon the idea of I and mine? Who, who, does, who does this all belong to? Ishwara, Maya, Maya owns it all. <laughs> it all belongs to Ishwara. It all belongs to what? To God. God created it all, God sustains it all, and God destroys it all. There's not one thing here that belongs to me. When you understand that, you're what? That's moksha. Understanding Ishwara is moksha. This is, the, this is the piece of the puzzle that most people don't get. And in the modern teachings, they don't teach Ishwara at all. They don't even know what it is. <laughs> they just say, there's no God. Finished. <laughs> there's definitely a God. <laughs> and a God owns it all. I don't, I, little me, I'm created by Ishwara. <clears throat> I don't even own my own life. It's not even my life. My life is on loan from Ishwar. When Ishwar is fed up, done with me, Ishwar just takes my life away. What, what, huh? So what do I own? Nothing. I'm here like a tourist. That's it. Huh? It's like I check into a hotel and I have to check out. This body's like a hotel. You check in and you have to check out. That's it. And you don't even check in and check out. Ishwara checks you in and Ishwara <laughs> checks you out. And he pays for all? Huh? And he pays for all? And it pays for all. Yeah. Ishwara takes care of the whole thing all along. That's what these people know. As my, people said to Ted to my wife one day, they were asking, well, how do you live? You move around and all of a sudden you don't have a job. You just ask for donations. So you can't... I, Said we have Ishwara's trust fund. Huh? She said we have Ishwara's trust fund. You know the trust fund people? You know, they don't have to work. Their their dads made billions and they don't have to work, so they don't have Well, we don't have billions. We don't even have millions. We don't even have hundreds of thousands. Huh? But we've got Ishwara's trust fund. 
So Ishwar takes care of the whole thing. So who cares? Just trust Ishwar. That's it. That's what they do, these jnanis. It's fine. Hmm? I keep my mind on Ishwar. Ishwar looks after me. Even if I don't keep my mind on Ishwar, Ishwar is going to look after me. But it's benefit to me to keep my mind on Ishwar. Why? Because that's where all the joy is. That's where the satisfaction is. Loving, your, loving God. You got to love something. Your nature is love. The self is parama prema swarupa. It means of the nature of, of unconditional love. That's the self is the unconditional love. It's, you got to express it. What are you going to express it for? You don't own anything. So what? Give all your love to Ishwara. Ishwara means your environment. Serve the people around you. Serve the situation. Serve your environment. Take care of your environment. Take care of your parents. Take care of what? All the, Everything here needs to be taken care of, looked after. That's your job. Look after it. It's Ishwara. I'm happy to make a contribution. That's how these people think. The self-realized are not deluded by appearances. It means they don't think the objects are real. They know the objects are generated by maya. They're not actually any substance in those objects. And what? That's called mithya. They're, they look like they're real, but they're not actually real. They're appearances. Moksha is called conditioned superimposition. Superimposition is... is huh? That's the Fata Morgana. Huh? Fata Morgana is what? Is projected. And it conditions the desert. Or the highway. You've been on the highway and you've seen it. The highway looks like it's wet up front. Hmm? I just saw that recently. So in South Africa, I was driving there. The road was wet. You know, like 100 meters ahead, the road was wet. But when I got there, the road wasn't wet. I thought, why is the road not wet? I thought it must have rained because it was raining there. No, the road wasn't wet. What? Huh. There was a Fata Morgana and I thought it was what? Water. But it wasn't water. And if I had known it wasn't water, I wouldn't have slowed down. But I slowed down because I thought it was water. So I was fooled by Maya. So all these objects are just Fata Morganas. Maya just creates them. They appear, it looks like water. But huh? when you think about it, you see, oh, it's not water at all. It's just what? Awareness appearing as water. And water, and a Fata Morgana is as good as no water. You can't drink it, you can't bathe in it, you can't do anything in that water. Because it's not real. So these people know that. So they're not fooled by what? By the appearance of things. They see what the essence of things is. They know what satya is. They know I'm this and not this. How are we doing here? We got uh, twenty minutes. Okay, we're coming along, guys. <laughs> we're coming along. We well, we're gonna see. Karma yoga keeps going, huh? They're not. He's not letting up on this. Krishna's, huh? Arjuna's the extroverted person. Arjuna is an emotional person. This whole karma yoga is just 
anger management. Basically, huh? <laughs> it's basically anger management. Because you're always angry. Depression is a form of anger. It's collapsed anger. So, huh? So this is Rogers and Thomas management. Rogers is, is anger, desire. And Thomas is what? Depression, sadness, dullness, fear. Those are your, these are your likes and your dislikes. So karma yoga neutralizes your likes and your dislikes. You don't want to be pushed around and driven by your likes and your dislikes. Your likes and your dislikes are just vasanas appearing in your subtle body. Here they're not likes and dislikes. Here they're just tendencies. And here they become likes and dislikes. And so karma yoga works here in the subtle body to neutralize your likes and dislikes, and therefore what? Remove the vasanas that are producing the likes and the dislikes at this stage, at this level. Arjuna said, you say that knowledge is superior to action, but this is true. Why do you encourage me to do this gruesome deed? You're confusing me with seemingly contradictory words. Decide what is best and reveal the one path to liberation. This is a very cool verse because there is no contradiction. And Krishna's made it quite clear. But Arjuna doesn't understand it. Conveniently, Arjuna doesn't stand it. Why? Because Krishna is telling him to do something he doesn't want to do. This is why basically people don't understand Vedanta. It it's it the implication of the teaching is that they're going to have to change their habits. They're going to have to change some kind of habit that they're very, very attached to or some kind of opinion or some kind of belief that they're very attached to so they don't hear what you're saying. Remember on, on Friday night I made that clear. I said how hard it is to listen. How very difficult it is to listen. In this stage, this is a shravana stage, the beginning stage of the teaching. It's called shravana. It's listening. It's very difficult to hear what we're saying. Why? Because the implication of these words is that you're going to have to like, what, reorganize and reevaluate your thinking and your actions. And you may not want to do that. You may be very well attached. And so you conveniently misunderstand what we're saying. You don't want to hear it. So you don't hear it. And that's exactly what happens with Arjuna here. You can compare you can compare means with means and ends with ends, but you can't compare ends with means. Well, so what? Karma yoga is a means to an end. <laughs> There's no contradiction. Huh? Understand? And he thinks it's an either or. Either I should go for knowledge or I should go for what? For action. I should do what you tell me to do or I should go for knowledge. What does he want to do? He wants to go for knowledge. Why? Because he doesn't want to do his job. <laughs> he doesn't want to take care of his karma. 
He wants to run away from his karma, and that's why he purposely misunderstands what Krishna is telling him. Krishna is going to explain it. I ordained a twofold lifestyle for beings in this world the path of knowledge for renunciates and the path of action for doers. You cannot get free of action merely by non performance of action. Merely, huh? Okay. You cannot, just by not doing action, you're not getting free of action at all. Because not doing action is an action, isn't it? Because you're never not doing actions. This is the joke. Huh? So he thinks he can just stop doing what he's doing and he's going to be free of action, but he's not. He's just, all his vasanas are just going to come out and cause him to act again, that's all. Nor can you attain liberation simply by what? Renouncing action. Because all you'll get is what? A state of mind of a renunciate. You won't get free. Indeed, you cannot avoid action even for a second because what? The gunas, Fox, Sopter, Rogers, and Thomas, compel you to act. Awareness is shining on the gunas, Sopter, Rogers, and Thomas, on the causal body. It's forcing you to act. We just explained that earlier. So you have no choice about action. You're acting all the time. So he said, so karma yoga is a preparation for sannyasa, for renunciation. And we're not renouncing actions in, 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 in there's several stages. The first stage is I renounce what? I renounce actions, certain actions, bad actions that I shouldn't do. The second stage is what? I renounce the results of actions. And the third stage is what? I renounce the doer of the actions. Because if you renounce the actions and the results of actions, what do you still have left? What's still left? The doer. The doer of the actions is still left. You still think you're a doer who's renounced. <laughs> so these people wandering around, you see them in the spiritual world. Kirwanamala is great for that. It's like, it's like a movie. You know, They'll have their wear their orange clothes. They'll be Western people. It looks really weird. And they have their little sannyasi outfits and their beads. And often the men will have a staff, a stick. And they wander up and down the street where everybody can see them. Because they want you to think that what? They've walked away from the world. <laughs> like, I'm a little Ramana here. You don't know that. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm a little Ramana. See, I've walked away from the world. But what, what didn't you walk away from, sir? I didn't walk away from the one who's walking away. You didn't get, huh? Did you? The one who's walking away is still you. Before you had all this stuff, and now you don't have this stuff, you're still the same jerk. You're still the same idiot who had all those things, now doesn't have those things. You haven't walked away from anything, man. <laughs> yeah, sad story. So how are you going to walk away from that one? From the doer. Jnana karma sannyas. 
Jnana, karma, sannyas means what? Giving up the idea that I'm a doer by what? Through jnanam. Jnanam means knowledge. What knowledge what? Knowledge that what? I'm awareness. And that if any actions is done, it's what? Actions done by Ishwara through me. On this stage, you can blame Ishwara for as call Ishwara the doer. Because you've got to get rid of this notion that you that you give up something. You don't own it in the first place. How can you give it up? Huh? If it doesn't belong, if all this stuff is Bhagawans, if my wife and kids and my job and my money is Bhagawans, then how can I give it up? I don't have it in the first place. See, so if I understand Bhagawan, I won't say I won't have any problem with actions or objects. Huh? I won't have a sense of it's mine to give up. It won't be there. But I think, in my delusion, I think this is my body, this is my life, this is my wife, this is my job, this is my kids, this is my, 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 and that's causing me a lot of trouble. I'm going to get rid of my wife and my kids and my job and my money, and I'm going to go to India and sit in a cave with my little stick and my little funny hat, and I'm going to meditate and become enlightened. No, you're not. You're, just, huh? you're not. You're just going to be what? The same person without stuff. <laughs> Before you were a person with stuff, now you're a person without stuff. You haven't moved forward at all in terms of enlightenment. Maybe you've reduced some stress, but you actually haven't because living without stuff is what? Is also a big stress. I did it, but, and I was pretty good at it because I'm one of those people that was a, basically a sannyasi from the time I was born. So it was pretty easy. I, I could walk away from almost anything. Good stuff, too. Really good stuff. I can just walk away from it. But I'm very unusual like that. Most people are very attached to their wives and their kids and their jobs and their money and all of the bodies and how they look and how they feel and what people think and all that sort of thing. So it's very hard for those people to give up stuff. And when they do, they're still what? They start to feel vain. Oh, yes, I'm so spiritual. I let go of all that stuff. Well, huh, you didn't let go of you. And the only way you're going get, to get let go of you, and you won't let go of you, that doer won't let go of itself. Why? Why, won't, why can't you get rid of yourself, this, this doer? I'll tell you why. The doer won't get rid of the doer. Because the doer is what? Doing for results, right? Remember, we said you do actions for results. Now, if you, huh, if you get rid of the doer, then, huh, then the result will be that you won't be there to enjoy the result. Right? If you've gotten rid of the doer, then you're doing that to get a result, but you won't be there to enjoy the result. So why would you get rid of yourself? Why would the doer get rid of itself? It won't, it doesn't, never does. And people who think they've got rid of the doer are just living in a fantasy world. The doer is created by Ishwar, the doer is always doing, and it's not you. <laughs> Understand? 
oh, I'm going to surrender my ego. No, you're not. You have to surrender the I that thinks it owns the ego. You didn't create your ego. Ishmael created it. You don't even own it. It's not even your ego. It's just a, a force or a factor in the Dharma field that causes action to happen. It's one simple thought. The doer is one simple thought in a whole chain of causation. Stimulus to response. There's a whole chain of causation here and the doer is just one little thought that's required to what? Keep that chain of causation going. It's not you at all. But you think, oh, I'm doing it. Oh. A person who controls the sense organs yet craves sense pleasures is confused. See a lot of the people in the spiritual world uh, doing this. It's better to control the senses and act with a karma yoga attitude, understanding. Because action is superior to inaction, you should do, you should do what has to be done. It's even impossible to maintain the body without action. You need to feed it and so forth. Actions other than those done in a sacrificial spirit, in a karma yoga attitude, bind you to karma. The, now, where did this idea come from? The creator, Bhagawan, Ishwara, God, whatever you want to call it, instilled this spirit in the beginning. Right? It's right there in the beginning. You see it? All of the creatures, all of the beings in the, in the, in the, in the creation have this spirit except, and, except human beings. Because human beings, what? Have free will. Some of them have it, but most of them don't have this spirit. Most of them have gotten this spirit. They've got involved in just looking after themselves. Not looking after the total. This is the creator instilled this spirit in the beginning and said, by sacrifice you shall multiply. By sacrifice, you, by, by, by giving you will get. Well, not, not by getting you will get, by giving you will get. The poet, there's a poet that said, the heart that gives, gathers. The heart that gives, gets. That's how you get. It will fulfill your desires. That attitude will fulfill your That's so fulfilling to give that your desires dry up. Honor life with this spirit and it will honor you. Life will look after you. While you start serving the world, the world serves you back real nicely, very nicely. If you're just extracting from the world, the world is going to what? Start extracting from you. You'll always feel you're losing something. The world will just take it away. You just contribute and the world just keeps contributing. There's no end to the kind of life you can create with this spirit. You have no idea where you can go and what can happen and the experience you can have if you have this spirit. It's unbelievable. This attitude leads to freedom. When you honor life, it supplies desirable things. 
But if you enjoy its gifts without offering something in return, you're a thief. First he said you're a miser, and secondly he said you're a thief. Those who eat the remnant of the sacrifice incur no guilt. Means what? Who take everything as prasad. But those who eat only for themselves eat guilt. You will feel guilty if you're just going after your old number one all the time. You'll not understand it, why, why you feel so bad, why you don't feel good about yourself. You'll think, that's, I don't understand, because your mother and your father and the society told you, you need to get more and more and more, you need to do all this, you need to have all this. If you don't have this, you won't be valid as a person. You're not any good unless you have this and that and the other thing. And they whip you up and feed your desires to have stuff over and over and over again. And then you feel bad. And you can't understand why you're feeling bad, because you did everything you were told. You got all the toys. But you still feel guilty. Why? Because you're only looking after yourself. That's why. And you've got a duty to what? Look after Ishwara, after the world. Serve the world. Living beings are born of food. He's just saying how this whole thing works. Living beings are born of food. Food comes from rain. Rain comes from the effect of sacrifice. And sacrifice is born of action. This is the ecological system. Did you see the movie Avatar? They got that idea from the Vedas. It's the same idea here. In the, These are beings who what? Who are looking after their environment. And so the environment loves them. The animals, the plants, everything like loves them. And they're all in a good relationship with their environment because they love them. And then you got these bad guys, the Americans, you know, <laughs> coming in to extract all the stuff, you know. That's that, that's the Duryodhana, that's that selfish part of yourself that's only looking to, like, take something away from the environment and take it somewhere else and enjoy it. Doesn't want to become part of the environment and contribute to the environment. The Vedas encourage this sacrificial religious attitude and the Vedas come from the imperishable self. If you keep this attitude, you are always in harmony with the self. The lives of those who do not live in harmony with the cosmic order but pursue sense pleasures instead are wasted. Nothing need to be done by those who delight in the self, are satisfied with the self alone, and whose lives are centered in the self. They have no reason to do or not to do, nor do they depend upon objects for their happiness. Do what is to be done well without attachment and you will attain the highest good. Not only <clears throat> will you attain liberation by acting in this spirit, you will inspire others to act in this way. Because whatever a role model does is done by others. Arjuna was very famous. Everybody liked Arjuna. Everybody respected Arjuna. And if he walks away and doesn't do his job, hmm, the whole society is going to have a huge problem. Seriously. So spiritual people are, are their, their important part of society. And what we do depends, you know, society to a large way looks to us. And if we don't, like, behave properly, and inspire other people to live in this way, right? then the society's going to get corrupt. You can see what's happened. 
people all this greed and all that sort of thing, just destroying the environment, destroying the water, destroying the air, destroying the environment, just right and left, or just human beings just greedily destroying the creation as fast as they can. And not so many people are putting back, looking after it. Here in Germany, there's more. These people are more conscious of their environment and are offering and taking, trying to take care of the environment. But basically around the world, it's, it's just greed. He says, I need not act. He's speaking as the self. I need not act. A self as a person now. But he says, as far as I'm concerned, everything in the three worlds is perfect. When you see things, so you see everything, you see things as they are, you see that this is all perfect. There's no reason for it to be any different. Why? Because it's, it's all awareness. It's all the self. It's a beautiful creation. It's all great. It's lovely. He says, so there's nothing for me to do. This is the feeling that you have. This is the knowledge that happens when you understand who you are. You know that there's nothing to do. He says, but I act because if I become lazy and refuse to act, people will follow my example. They will become confused. The social bonds that keep the society healthy would unravel and it would deteriorate. Just as the unwise who are attached to the results of their actions act only for themselves, the wise should perform action without attachment for the good of others. They should not lecture the unwise concerning action and its results. Instead, they should encourage them to act in the right spirit by example. It is, you know, I'll go telling people off, just, all right, act, with your children particularly. Children don't listen to what you say. They watch you. They're conscious little beings and they observe what you do and they copy what you do. And they know when you're a hypocrite. They know when you're saying one thing and meaning something else. They're not stupid. Right? So you need to what provide them with an example. You need to live, walk the talk, live the right life, live a righteous life and you'll have righteous, happy children. It's right? the idea here. Human beings are like monkeys. They just do what other human beings do. And the, huh? that's all. No, really no different from monkeys. And the monkeys always look to the big alpha males. What the alpha male does, they all do. So. It is a delusion to think I'm the doer because actions are caused by the gunas influencing the body. The gunas means Ishwara. Atmaya, we said, was trigunatmika maya. We said it yesterday. Well, maya is the three gunas. So that's what's causing actions. He says, caused by the gunas, and what do they do? They influence the body, mind, and the senses. <coughs> the wise, <coughs> where, where are we got here? The wise, however, remain free because they understand that the body, mind, sense complexes engages its, its objects automatically. That means what? You don't have to hook your senses up with objects to change your experience. Your senses are already hooked up. What it means what? Whatever you're experiencing now is what Ishwara wants you to experience. 
And so Ishwar is connected. Your eyes and your nose and your tongue and your skin and all your organs is connected, all the organs to the right objects all the time. There's no reason why you need to change your behavior and change your and control, put your sense organs here and there. Huh? Because Ishwar has already done it. And if you're trying to mess with Ishwar because you're dissatisfied with your experience, then you should look and see why you're dissatisfied with your experience, not try to change your experience. Changing your experience is just going to create another vasana and dig you deeper into the samsara pit. Analyze why you don't like what, you, what you've got. Figure out what the problem is, and you'll see that it's a subjective problem. It's a knowledge problem. It's not an experiential problem. Those unaware of how the gunas affect action get caught up in the actions of the body-mind-sense complex. So the key here is to understanding the gunas. My next, next book that my wife and I are going to write is on the gunas. This is a real super topic. We've been promising it for a couple of years, but Ishwar has had other ideas. It looks like now we finally got our plate clear, and it seems like that book is going to, going to happen. I've got all the material, and so it's pretty should be maybe this year sometime within maybe the next six months or so. We'll probably have a good book on the gunas, because that's the key here. It says, if you're not aware, it says, if you're not aware of these gunas and how they're working, huh, you're going to get caught up in, in actions. And it's a pretty simple method. The triguna vibhava yoga is the most sophisticated yoga. We only usually teach that at the very end. We use it to describe certain things, but actually how to manipulate huh, your experience, how to create your experience, how to purify your mind using the views, and how to transcend your mind using this knowledge of the gunas is a great... Um, oh, is it time to quit? What time is it? Oh my God, I'm going, going, going. Let's see. <laughs> Let me see what we got here. How are we doing here? Chapter four? Yeah, we're doing all right. By evening we can by evening well, I'm gonna to try to aim to get through the chapters uh, through chapter six by the end of the evening. So we got two sessions this afternoon and a long session or two sessions this evening. We can probably uh, cover the first chap the first section of the Gita. The Gita's organized into three sections. The first six topics deal with the Jiva and they deal with karma yoga. The second deal with vipassana yoga, which includes Ishwara into the equation, and uh, in other words, knowledge of Ishwara and meditation, different bhakti and meditation. And then the last six chapters deal with the identity between Jiva and Ishwara. And so we'll, we'll do those the last two days. So that way we should be able to cover the whole text. So. I know it sounds kind of silly, but it's not really silly because most of you people already know a lot of this, and most of you, and it's a lot easier than than the swamis in India make it out. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> if you're qualified, this is a lot easier. And uh, I get criticized for making it too simple, but it works. It's, there's nothing really very complicated about enlightenment. 
It's, it's simple, but it's not easy. Because what? Because of my attachment to what? To action, to my ego, to these objects. Thank you for listening to the talk of James Wards on the Bhagavad Gita, recorded at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. More information on shiningworld.com and yoga-vidya.org.